idea of growth and transition is something that our entire church has been walking through together. We've been, you know, in these transition places, you learn a lot, you get to experience a lot. And, um, you know, the launching of the, of the second campus by Lake Merced on Brotherhood Way uh, has been, in fact, you know, they, they start up in about four minutes. And it's about uh, this uh, really unique time of transition in our church. And it's been amazing to, to watch it happen. I've been really impressed in a good way by so many who have stepped forward to volunteer and to be a part both at the Merced site uh, and uh, also here at the Mission Campus, you know, just watching everybody fill in the gaps. I do need to say that this volunteer, um, you know, sort of base of ours is being stretched right now. And uh, we really are asking people to consider jumping in and joining this, uh, this time to be able to invest your heart into work for the Lord. And we have all different types of ministry openings, children's ministries, teen ministries. We have ushering, welcoming, hospitality, coffee house ministries. We have, you know, the, the whole uh, parking and security teams. There's a major need for setup teams at the Mission at the Merced campus. And then that's not even to mention all the other, like, you know, art uh, components. There are sound, lighting. There's some technical ministries that people, if you even if you don't have any training, but you really have a heart to do it, you, there's a part of it that is actually designed to help train everyone to understand certain uh, principles and concepts. So it's a great time for growth. So just wanted everybody to be aware of it. If it's in your heart to jump in, and we believe that there's a twofold value in it. One, not only the benefit that comes from just helping out, there's also a growth component. Because when we work together, build together, serve together, we begin to build relationships. Those relationships can oftentimes be extremely fruitful in terms of what God's trying to do in our own lives. We found this to be true. So um, consider going to our website. Uh, we're still rolling that out, but it's really becoming um, something that has been, I think, a, a good, simple, creative, uh, new uh, site that a lot of, we're getting a lot of positive feedback around. But there's a page particularly designed for those who want to consider connecting, joining, and serving. And of course, you can go to the connection uh, counter as well. But just to be aware of that, there's plenty of room. There's legitimate needs. And this is about extending uh, our ability to share the good news of Jesus with people who we believe need him in our city and in the surrounding communities. So I'm going to talk. I've got a, a message to share that I'm hoping and believing will benefit us. But I want to pray and ask God to just bless the time that we have left together. And so, Lord, I want to thank you for everyone who's here. I thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your love for us. I really do. And I just want to ask you to come and to be among us. As we take this time to break the bread of your word and to think about what it means for us. Each one of us is living a life. In a sense, we're writing a story. Some of it's been written. A lot of it's still to be written. We pray that you would just be with us and help us and speak to us. And so um, we lift our eyes, as it were, towards heaven. And we open up our heart like a window before you. Let the breeze of your spirit come and, and speak to us through your words. Bring life in Jesus' name. Amen, Lord. Let it be so, God. All right. Part of what we've been doing with the Growth Transition Series is we were focusing on the particular transition that was connected to the life of Jesus when he was 12 years old. And so we've been focusing on that passage, that unique insight into a portion of his life. Rather than you know, reviewing extensively what we've already covered in the past couple of weeks, what I want us to do is read through the piece and then get to a couple of verses that we didn't cover. And we're going to draw some conclusions out of that and hopefully, again, 
dive into it with our heart. It says, when he was 12 years old, that Jesus, we're told, was 12, that he went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. We, we talked a lot about, and we had, a, we had a good time with this too, about how Mary and Joseph, you know, how, how could they lose Jesus, you know? And they lost him at age 12. He was left behind. They thought he was in Jerusalem, but they didn't know for sure. Now, again, on the map, because I know that not everybody's necessarily familiar with where Nazareth is compared to where Jerusalem was. About an 80 miles differential there. You can still go there today. Jerusalem, Judea in the south. You can see Dead Sea, the Jordan River. And then, of course, the Galilee. Much a different kind of landscape there. The Sea of Galilee, where so much of the interaction of Jesus with his disciples took place. When they were fishermen, that's where they fished. And, um, of course, Nazareth is where Jesus grows up. Well, they're in Jerusalem. Mary and Joseph and, and the, their friends and family and extended community were traveling back towards Nazareth, as people would do after the feast. And they realized a day in, a day, at the end of one day, that Jesus isn't with them. So in a, in a panic, they say they've got to get back to Jerusalem. That was the last place anybody had seen him. And so they spent the entire next day traveling back. That night, they still can't find him. It's not until the third day that they find Jesus in the temple. And that's what we read here. It says, but supposing him to have been in the company, this is verse 44, they went a day's journey, sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. And, and so it was that after three days, they finally did find him in the temple, sitting in the midst of teachers. And it's this extraordinary picture of Jesus interacting with the most, you know, religiously trained, intelligent people of his day, the powerful minds of his day. He's interacting with them, asking them questions, listening, and we're told that they were actually amazed at this, uh, this 12-year-old who it says they were just astonished with because of his answers and his understanding. And they were just kind of, where did he come from? Who taught him? And their amazement, we know, was met by the amazement of, of a stunned Mary and, and his stepfather Joseph were told here that when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I, we've, we've been seeking you anxiously. We've been looking everywhere for you. How could you do this to us? That was the first question that came out. It's like, what have you been thinking? Why, why would you allow us to be so afraid? We, you understand how concerned we've been. That's the sense, the tone that we're being given. And then we're, we're given what amounts to and we mentioned this last week, the first recorded words of Jesus in all the Bible. And it's interesting because it would, it, is, it comes in the form of a question. And that would become a signature characteristic of his communication with people. And he answered his mother's question of concern and, um, you know, sort of just consternation with his own question. He said to them, why are you so, basically, why do you seek me? Why are you so worried about where I've been? Don't you know there's only one place I really could have been? You of all people should know that. I'm here in my father's house, but he says, doing my father's business. What we're told, and again, we talk a lot about what does it mean to do father's business with our lives and about the I must be about my father's business. This idea of something compelling. We talked about this joyful necessity of following Jesus. Now, it's not meant to be a, a joyless obligation, but a joyful necessity. And yet, verse 50, we're told this, but they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Uh, that is, their initial reaction to his words 
were, oh, yeah, not, oh, yeah, oh, okay, we forgot. Make, now it makes sense. Their initial reaction was, what are you talking about, fathers? But, you know, up in the, which tells us something. It tells us something. And we talked about this again a little ways back. But it appears, just based on Mary's response particularly, that a lot of, a lot of what had happened around Jesus' miraculous birth and around those prophetic words that were spoken in that really critical time of his early, early life, and, of course, the conception itself, um, that a lot of what had made that so stunning and extraordinary had settled in as the years had gone by into an ordinary life. And that so much of what had been was sort of receded and overwhelmed by the everydayness. Part of the humility of the son was to be so invested in the human experience. There was no display whatsoever of his divinity. So that Mary and, and, and to some degree Joseph had almost forgotten or at least had not been thinking about this as much. If we can put it this way, part of the reason they're, they're shocked by, or at least sort of caught off guard by his response and his action is because the father's business that, that he had been involved in was you know, Joseph's business as a carpenter. What is, he, what is he talking about? What does that mean? What, he's saying things, we're not understanding them. And it's almost like it's, it's you, know, you know what I've, what I've come to realize here is that the, there are times where some of us are going to understand what I'm saying here. And I don't mean that in a demeaning way. But there are times where the word of the Lord will come to our life and there are these like ebbs and flows to it. And there are times where the word that has been sort of quiet for a number of years starts to reemerge and it begins to come back to the fore of our lives. And I've witnessed that. And I suspect that's part of what was happening here, that this word that had been so amazing and spectacular, this experience, had sort of mellowed down into the ordinary. But now, all of a sudden, it's starting to come back again. Look what it says. It says in verse 51, then he went down with them, Jesus, and he came to Nazareth, and we talked about that, and was subject to them. But his mother kept all of these things in her heart. And she started to really think about what was happening here. And, and then we're told in verse 52, and this is a summary statement of the next 18 years of the life of Jesus, captured in one verse, verse 52 of Luke 2. And we're told that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. Now, I look at, there, there's four descriptions there, in wisdom, stature, favor with God, and favor with man. Um, I see four quadrants of growth there. Next week, Lord willing, I'm going to focus and zero in on what I'm calling the four growth quadrants. And I'm going to talk about what it means to engage our life in a growing way based upon the four growth quadrants that are referred to here as descriptive of the life of Jesus. I think it's going to be very interesting. And by the way, it'd be, it's a great thing potentially to bring someone to who maybe even thinking about wanting to invite to church. It's a, it's, a, it's a great subject to think about because it has to do with life structure and what growth looks like and experiencing God in, in all the facets of our life. Anyway, I point that out. You look at that word there verse 50, in verse 52, the word increased. It says Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. The word there um, has to do with something very specific. You know, the Bible and the New Testament in particular is 
was originally written in Greek. Uh, so when we translate the Greek language into it's the New Testament Greek into English, it shows up in, in words that uh, are be- reflective of the Greek word. Now, in some cases, Greek words have very clear connectives. Um, sometimes we might have a few words in English that could describe different nuances of a single Greek word. Or there might be, for example, with love. We have one word we call love. In the Greek, they had four words. And so depending on which one is used in the manuscript, it gives us a different insight, but all those words get translated out as love. Now, I'm saying all of that to say this. The word that's translated here is the Greek word prokopto. And what that means, this word that's translated increased, is an interesting word because it, it is connotates something. It, 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 it's a word, uh, if, you, if you were studying out people who study words and are translators, this word, interestingly enough, that is used right here in verse 52, is derived from uh, the idea of engineers being sent ahead of an advancing army to clear out uh, trees so that there's a pathway for that army to move through. It actually has an aspect of it that was military in its background. Uh, Another word, Master uh, Wordsmith Thayer says that this word that we translate increased means to lengthen something out like, um, like a metalsmith would hammer out a hot piece of metal and just, while it's hot, stretch it out and lengthen it. And so in, you notice that in both cases, it speaks of something that is expansive. One has to do with the clearing out of something for a new pathway. The other one has to do with the idea of lengthening something out. Both of them involve energy, action. It's interesting because it reminds us of what growth looks like. It's, it, there's an expansiveness. There's a kind of a, cat, a catalytic component to it. There, this idea of God wanting to work into our lives also new pathways, clearing things out so that we can move in a new direction or to, to, to work us in such a way that the, the scope of our life, the growth of our life, the reach of our life is, is more extensive than what it would have been um, before. And so th- this, this picture is a great picture. Now, um, I, I, I want to suggest this. Just, I'm just going to put this on the board right now. As we look at that, when we talk about these growth transitions and stretching, number one, that, and this is what we'll say, growth transitions, just kind of moving off this piece, often stretch our faith and challenge us to think of life in, in fresh new ways. Think about the question that Jesus uh, poses to Mary and Joseph, that question that he, he poses. Didn't you know that this is the only place I could be about my father's business? His question, why are you so worried, is actually a response to Mary's question. But when he gives him his statement, one of the things, again, we know is they did not fully grasp what he was saying. And in fact, it's so clear. It's clearly stated explicitly, verse 50. They did not understand the statement that he spoke to them. And part of what what he was saying was that in his own way, Jesus was saying, things are changing right now. There's a transition that's taking place in my life. And it involves another voice in my life. And of course, there was a change happening physically. There was a change happening spiritually here. And that was going to have an impact relationally as well. And I want to suggest to all of us here that transitions, life shifts, or seasonal shifts, um, are are things that invite us to 
new ways of understanding. New ways of understanding ourselves, new ways of understanding our relationships, and certainly new ways of understanding our relationship with God. And when I'm talking about life transitions, that's something that all of us can relate to. I'm telling you right now, I mean, because we have things like, like, you know, when we have places that we're, we're, say, moving into for the first time. It's a transition. Some of us, it's like we've got a, a new job that we're going in. For others of us, we're, we're beginning to see the end of our school years. And, and what is on the horizon is the idea of moving into the marketplace. What that's going to really look like. Uh, for some of us, it has to do with, with making a decision to get married. And, and, and for others, and, and watching this as well, there's another transition that occurs when, when you decide to have a child or, or you're seeking to have one. And when that begins to change, when you, a parent, your parenting changes life dramatically. Uh, there are things that happen sometimes that we, we can anticipate, we've been pre- preparing for. You know, sometimes there's a transition that occurs when one can see that uh, now I can see the end of my, my work career is, is nearing, and I can see it. And what is that going to mean for me? Other times there are transitions that occur just around the seasons of life. Think about this. You know, when you hear me talk about... Uh, thinking about the seasons of life, we talk about it like there's a, a springtime of life, a summer of life, and just assuming we live a, a full life as we define that, a spring, a summer, a fall, and a winter. And you're, we live long enough and we begin to realize we're moving into a certain season of life. And those transition points are oftentimes that can be very unsettling or exciting, depending on where we are. But what happens, and I've mentioned this before, when you're leaving one season of life and moving into another season, for example, it's like, it's like what's going to happen right now. We're in, technically in winter. Soon we're going to move into spring. Now, the end of winter and the beginning of spring, there's a day that marks it. But in reality, the end of winter sometimes can feel more spring-like than the uh, beginning of spring. But before long, we know we're into spring, and we know we're in the summer, and we know we're in the fall, even though the transition places sometimes, sometimes seem like they're overlapping. But there's a point where we go, this is where I am. I've made a transition. But those transition places are often places that really can be both exciting and scary at the same time. And a lot of things are reordered there. Transitions, life shifts, changes, big changes in life. It can happen with, with health issues. Something happens that alters the way we've been functioning, and we've got to make an adjustment. It can happen with a relational shift, a breakdown, a meltdown, a dynamic change that can occur. There are transitions in life. It can happen, in, in, again, we, we lose our job, and we have to reevaluate our, our direction. Those are transition places. Uh, in those places, there are times of great opportunity, but there also can be times where they're, they're like a, a volcano, uh, it's like something that is in up, times of upheaval, of volcanic proportions, where the tectonic plates of our life are being rearranged, and the landscape that emerges out of this transition is much different than what it was prior to that moment. Those seasons of life are places where we often wrestle with what our, our real faith is and what our relationship with God has been built on, and and a lot of times, I've noted that in tra- life transitions, especially of the upheaval variety, we find ourselves wondering, where is God? We're understanding what God is saying through all of this change. 
And you'll notice that in Mary and Joseph's case, they, they, they didn't really understand. It was almost like they were saying, we don't, what are you talking about? What do you mean? What do you mean a father's? What is, what is that? Father's business. It wasn't, it's like, that, what are you talking about? But it says here that Mary, Mary was thinking about it. And I think it's okay for us to wrestle with me. I think that's, that's the right thing to do. But here's the key, and this is the number two piece. In those places, it's really important that we take a humble, a humble walk. And I'm going to just say number two, that Christ's example reminds us that sometimes the right thing to do will be to humbly submit to something. And, and, and hear me out. In other words, there are times when God's going to require us to yield to the request of another. Now, a lot of us understand that in the workplace, right? If you have a boss, if we like our jobs... We understand that, you know, we're told to do something and we kind of have to do it. Most of us have had that experience. And if we don't do that, then, you know, we either get to leave or we will be asked to leave. And most of us understand how that works. We get it. You, sometimes we're given stuff on our plate. Do it. Take care of it. Get it done. We have to submit to that. It's okay. I don't have, do I have any say in this? No. Maybe. Possibly. We can talk about it. Then get it done. Right? I mean, either way, we often know how it works. We also understand that in a, in a family scenario, like with Jesus, uh, he, under, he was what? He, he models for us submit, submission to his parents, right? He says that even no matter what else he was doing, look what it says in that 51st verse. It says, he went down with them and he came to Nazareth. And look at that next phrase. And he was, he was subject to them. He, he submitted himself. Um, it wasn't like I, Jesus... Was, when they said, okay, you've got to leave now, Jesus, you know, doesn't throw a fit in the temple and say, how could you disrupt me from this work? I'm staying here. No, he, he you know, I'm going to tell you this right now. I don't think that Jesus uh, grumbled all the way home either. I don't think he was sulking all the way home back to Galilee. You know, and I, I, I think there are times where when we are finding ourselves in these places that we need to really... We really need to live in a, in a mature place. There are times when the word of the Lord is going to require us to be mature. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, and I'll just put this up, in, this, in the great love chapter that's often read, you know, love is and all these things. But in that chapter is this great verse in which Paul talks about life shift. And he says, when I was a child, you know, I spoke as a child and I understood as a child and I, I thought as a child, but there came a point in my life where I, I, I became a man and I, and I put away childish things. And that was his, it was a personal declaration that he was making a decision. In his life, it had to do with embracing the higher call of Christ. But there are times in our lives where the Lord will call us to places of laying aside childishness and embracing a mature word over our lives. And a lot of times, you know, that word will mean not running away from something that part of us wants to escape out of. You know, I was talking to a man after service last night, and he said to me, you know, that verse really hit me. He said, because, you know, he goes, I thought about it. He says, when children, when, 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 children, when we're children and we're afraid, our first, we want to run. He goes, but then there are times where he goes, when we're adults, we know we need to, we need to face that fear. And um, he says, and I think God's calling me to face some of my fears, which is very interesting. 
And I know that there are some, some of us that we've had a pattern of, of running or um, we, may, we may feel like, I don't want to walk in this submitted path that the Lord's asking me to walk in. That's not what I want to do. And I'm going to fight that. But I'm going to suggest that there are, there are times where the Lord is saying, you need to walk this path. This is my way of life for you. Or this is the entrustment that I've put into your hands. Don't dishonor it and live selfishly or childish. Be childlike, yes, for such is the kingdom, but not childish, self-centered, immature. God calls us to places of expansion and growth, and that will, listen, you know what that's going to involve for some of us? It doesn't matter what life stage we're in. It's going to mean that at times we're going to have to act very courageously, especially at times, and not exclusively, but especially at relational levels. Um, this is a big deal. You know, I've, and I was... I was thinking about this, you know, a lot of times we can comply, but our heart isn't right. I was thinking about it with my kids sometimes, you know, they're much older, but we still have exchanges. And um, we had one last night, actually, uh, <laughs> in which I w- something was asked to be done, and it was done, but the way in which it was being done <laughs> was not good. <laughs> And I said, um, uh, we have a problem right now. And well, I'm doing what you asked me to do. I know you're doing what I asked you to do, but the way you're doing what I'm asking you to do is a problem. And we had a nice discussion, the rest of that, about that. And I thought, you know, it's your attitude that's the issue. <laughs> oh <my> God, wow. <laughs> and I was thinking myself, I was going, but <laughs> aren't, aren't there moments, though, I have some of going, but how many times have I asked the Lord asked me to do something, and I did it, but my attitude was just bad. And it was sour, and it was grudging. I'm doing what you want me to do but it's a bad attitude. And I've tr- I I've try to remind myself, one, it reminds, you know, my, wife, my wife has told me that too. I want you to do this. I'll do it. And we do it the whole time. I'm making her pay the price. <laughs> and what should have been a win, a win-win, is nothing what it should have been. It's taken me, it's been really hard. You know what that's called? That's called maturity and what love looks like and it's uh, it's something that we have to grow into we need God's grace to grow into it but I want to say that there are times where the Lord will ask us to walk a pathway that requires a tremendous amount of courage and and it's not even doing it but then how we do it I often talk to the teams who serve that it's not just doing it but it's doing it with the right heart it's not just giving it's giving the right heart. It's not just doing the right things. It's doing things the right way. It, it, it makes all the difference. Jesus said it. He said it. And I won't spend too much time, more time here, but he said, don't, don't, don't just do this and with the disconnected heart. You lose the whole blessing that it was meant to be. My thing is, if I'm going to do it, then Lord, give me... Let me self-correct my attitude with your grace to do it right. 
the good attitude. May that be true of a lot of things in our lives. Thirdly, what else does Mary do as an example for us? It reminds us that there is a time to ponder and reflect these growth transition times. I'm flowing back to, to Mary here at the end of verse 51. Just stay with me on this. She's a picture of someone who is thoughtful and reflective, isn't she? It says that she's, she kept all these things in her heart, like not, not for the point of sentiment. Mary is not revealed as a sentimentalist. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not what she was revealed as. She's someone who's actively engaged. There are a number of examples, but this is one of them that stands out. Mary is a kind of person who, who just appears to um, process things out at a deeper place. And some things the Lord does will not intentionally make sense to us, and that's okay. But what's important is that as we move into life, that we sit with them and we prayerfully ponder their meaning. And every season has its unique questions, and every season has its unique growth opportunities and sometimes it's more of a process than an event. And there are certain times where some things need to be allowed, let me just put it this way, they need to be allowed to incubate in our soul, which means we're going to need to create space, which means we're going to have to create some room. We live, and that is hard for us because we live in a culture that can quickly um, get its entertainment so fast that we are accustomed to fast thinking. And every, even our work is fast. And yet so much of the soul, which is, I think, going to be one of the real challenges of our, of our next decades of living, is how to cultivate a healthy soul in a highly paced, technologically entertainment-saturated environment that in many ways is toxic to real deep soul-level work. One of the things that's going to require from us is creating room to think long thoughts. You hear me talk about that. Uh, because we get stuck in the everydayness of life, and then we get so tired, we just, then we just veg out. We pull the plug, and we just kind of entertain ourselves. But nothing's happening. And all of a sudden, we're living life that way for a long time. And we're not thinking well. One of the real benefits of coming to the Lord's house, like we're doing right now, is we're saying we carve out space to listen for the Lord together. And his word can then begin to have time and room to settle into us, and we begin to think about things with God. The ability to ponder. You know, there's so many beautiful places. Take a, uh, take a, a walk. To, there's, this is like, um, you know, we're heading into a, a time of the year where we talk about spring cleaning, and it's not right around the bend. And, and this idea of removing the clutter, creating room, simplifying, listening for God in fresh new ways, um, asking questions about how we're constructing our life, is this, am I investing this amazing gift that I've been given, which has a limitation to it? Am I living the way that God wants me to live? Am I, is my life uh, reflecting the priorities that I say I believe in? Am I seeking first the kingdom of God? I, is it showing up in ways? Is there, are there things that God's asking me to adjust, to, to address, to clear out so that there can be a new pathway of expansion. And that leads me to the final piece here, and that is this, that there is a definite time to expand and to grow 
and it's a, it's a unique seasonal opportunity. There are times where, like just like it was said of Jesus, that he increased in his wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. It, again, it was a summary of almost two decades of his life. I want to suggest that that's a picture of what God wants to do in many of our lives right now. Open us up to new possibilities, new territory, new ways of understanding ourselves, new ways of growing in our capacity to love well, to live a well-pleasing life to God, to be a difference maker within the framework of our relationships on our workplace, to grow. And yet so much of that public work, the public growth is always a reflection of what happens at the private level. It, it, the, the public world, the public life we live is always firstly created in the private world. The choices we make, the way we listen for God, the conversations we have with other people who are also seeking to pursue his ways. You see what I'm saying? There is a time to retreat and regroup. There's a time to return to Nazareth. There's a time, as Mary shows us, to ponder and prepare. There's also a time to rest, a time to heal. Some of us are moving in that time right now. We're in a healing time in life. But there's also a time when some of us are called hold the line. There's a time where some of us are being asked to step like our church has been asked to do into a point of advancement and increase. And there's a time to work and build. And there's a time to take ground, a time to run to the battle and not be afraid. See, the question is this, what time is it for us? And are we about our Father's business in this time of our life? You know, the song that we're closing with is called I Am Yours. And I'll say this just really quickly because I know we've got to get to this. I was driving into church. I saw some graffiti on a wall, which I see a lot. And, one, and this person wrote, I want to, I don't know who they were. I don't know what they totally meant by it. They said, I want to exist before I die. And I thought, wow, a philosopher, a philosopher for a graffiti artist. Very interesting. And then I thought, what were they saying? I want to know real life. And I thought, whatever else they meant, I think this is true. That God wants us to, to find our life in him. You want to exist before we die? I want to exist before I die. I want to live life well before I die. I want to live a life that honors God before I die. I want to make better choices before I die. I don't know when my day is up. I told somebody, well, I don't know the time or the boundaries on it, but I know this, God's calling for upgrade. And I want to be better. I want to keep growing, keep expanding, keep learning, keep experiencing more of his life. Best not done alone, but it needs to be done alone as well. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I want to ask you to just bless you know, our time, Lord, as we prepare to to close out the service. We've got the closing song, our time of giving, and I want you to be honored in that. I want to ask you to just bless this, this, uh, this song, this I Am Yours song. It's a statement, a prayer, really, about being open to you. And Lord, we want to be intentional about opening up our lives to you and, and say, Lord, you know, grow things in me and grow things out. It clear some things out so that new pathways can emerge. So I'm just going to invite you, Lord, to be gracious, to help me. Let me hear your voice, make good adjustments, keep working, keep growing, keep challenging things. Lord, I'm yours. I gave my life to you a long time ago. Maybe I'm doing it right now again. But I just want to ask for your blessing. I pray you bless our time here, Lord. Bless what we're about to share as we close the service. Bless what we have shared. Let it be alive in us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.